Time for bed. You can try again at breakfast. Okay. I want to do that again. No, tomorrow. I'm not tired. I want to do it again. I said no. Again. Now. <laughs> Well, you did it. You hurt your mother. I'm sorry, Mommy. Welcome to the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I'm your host, Jason Dubray. And joining me for, and now I believe the third time as a guest, is Kelsey Moser. Welcome back Hello. to the show. Thank you. And as uh, two teachers, it's really interesting that we are picking this rather disturbing <laughs> But interesting show. I'm really excited to talk about these movies. It is When Kids Kill is the title of this episode. And it's when we have children who are killing folks in movies and in very disturbing and serious ways. So I, I don't know if it's a, appropriate that we're teachers and we're looking at this uh, subject matter or or what. But. Yeah. It's really funny. As I was kind of like writing my notes, I had um, with them, the one in particular, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I can see my, my teacher, my my teacher um like rationale coming in i'm like oh like have we thought of it this way yeah it's i thought i i the yeah. the um irony is not lost on me either yeah. that we choose to work with children yet we are watching these movies that have to do with terrifying children <laughs> and also because i'm a counselor now i'm mm -hmm. i find I'm, I'm watching some of these i are more recent watches for me or discoveries in, in the last few years others go back to nostalgia for me and a teenager just watching these crazy movies without any real idea even at the time I would be a teacher nor a counselor but now I'm kind of watching and I can see things that and I'm happy to see at points there are some some characters who are kind of doing the right thing and there's others as far as the adults doing completely the wrong thing and I think that might color my reviews a little bit. I'm glad you say that because like same like I'm even so um I mean I started watching this I have notes that the ones I watched earlier when I was uh, watching movies for this where I'm kind of reading them over and going, oh, is that, I mean, it's a movie. I, I'm kind of, is this me just asking, you know, modern, modern understanding of like trauma and kid psychology? Is that and and also like real? Am I asking too much of a movie? But it it's it is interesting. It's interesting how that pops in, though. I like that. Yeah, especially a movie that is, is from the twentieth century. I mean, we've got a <laughs> range of years here. A few eighties movies and lots of nineties as well. So I think right now, uh, some of these movies came out, and it is interesting that some of the ones we're talking about. Uh, have been remade or are going to be released this year as a remake, uh, mm -hmm. particularly the two Stephen King. Seems to be you're my Stephen King person because we had two Stephen King yeah. uh, films last time too. Yeah. So that if they're going to do some different things with it, with kind of a, a bit of a 21st century understanding behind it. Yet, I think the one that's most recently going to be remade doesn't, I'm not sure it necessarily has those issues as much as some of the ones that seem very, very grounded and somewhat scary how real they could be and how mm -hmm. adults can completely miss some of these behaviors. And certainly mm -hmm. they, they very much as psychologists hesitate to diagnose young kids uh, or, you know, find a, a, a label because there's so much going on with kids that mm -hmm. by their very nature, they are kind of, their behavior is psychotic because they, ha they haven't developed yet. And yeah, they're so egocentric, right? Like it's that whole, um, that's why they won't diagnose that. And kids so young because they're there's so much more 
development for their brand like even that like the the fat the the piece of like the world does not revolve around me has not fully developed in their brain nor has like real cause and effect right I mean that's why you have so many teenagers that are more likely to get into car accidents because that whole split second decision making you know they'll, they'll be able to tell you in a controlled setting oh hey like in this situation this is what I would do and they'll be able to give like a correct answer but that split second decision making like running a yellow like going through a yellow light at an intersection in that split second that cause and effect is not there so it's just kind of a really interesting collaboration between the two pieces like those two we're talking about this very seriously right now Mm -hmm. but the other thing i want to say is i i really think these movies were fun so it's it's not gonna be like some deep psychological dive into child psychology here no 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 no. it's just i found the stage of life i'm at now i was putting some of that on the films a little bit more than if i watched this at 14 15 years old it's just like oh cool really creepy that that kid is you know killing people scary yeah. <laughs> child yeah no for sure I just I, it's um I'm glad to know that I wasn't the only one who had to kind of check myself with that which I get it makes sense right because I think so much of what we do is you're trying to understand the why and there's always a why right but there doesn't have to be in the movie situation I have to the movie, no. don't no. Add, demand logic of an illogical world right yeah. and I, I think with at least one of these sometimes mm-hmm. I need to be reminded it's a movie We'll get to get to that in a bit. So six movies that we're we're looking at. We're going to start off with uh, 1984 was the year when there were a million Stephen King adaptations. And uh, one of them was Firestarter, uh, starring one uh, Drew Barrymore, among many others, in an all-star cast. Then we're going to uh, take a look at a movie from 1992 called Mikey that not a lot of people, I think, have heard of or have seen. I, I, I came across it during those teenage years when I was really getting into movies and, and thrillers and scarier movies so I uh, have a nostalgia factor with that one I think that will play in uh, then we're going to look at the great John Carpenter's remake of Village of the Damned followed by a to me a really uh, interesting it was introduced to me I, I hadn't I, I hadn't heard of it or seen it but a, a couple of horror movie fans uh, that uh, I know a, a, a rather disturbing film called The Children a British horror movie set at Christmas which is really a nice touch and then we're we're going to take a look at about three years after uh, the great home alone macaulay culkin in elijah wood in the good son uh, from 1993 and then we're going to end off with I, I might argue a a horror classic from the very late 1980s 1989s pet cemetery yeah i have a lot i, I guess nostalgia as well for pet cemetery in in, in ways in this uh, particular version of that's the nostalgia one for me too is pet cemetery that was kind of one of my big it, it's fun, like the, um, the stephen king movies that i've watched for this show i honestly i love love a lot of his movies and a lot of his books but um i hadn't seen firestarter or um, for the other for our other episode it was um cat's eye and uh freak show right freak show freak show Creep show. Oh my gosh. Yep. Yeah. Creep show. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, I had those are so of the four that I've watched for this show, I've only like Pet Cemetery is the only one I had previously seen. There's so many. I mean, there's a ton of his movies I haven't seen, and I've been watching them steady for yeah. as long as I've been a Stephen King fan. Well, I mean, like his his work, like there's so much. He has he has such a uh, collection, right? Um, but yeah, like Pet Cemetery is um, one of my my personal faves. So I'm sure with some bias creeps in there too. Well, and that's that's the way, and that's mm-hmm. the it's very subjective, and Perfect. that's. <laughs> 
I'm really interested to see how much we agree. And if we disagree on any of these, it should be a fun show. Thanks for coming back on and are we ready to review. Yeah. Awesome. Charlie McGee is a healthy eight year old girl. Normal in every way. Charlie, now watch what you're doing. But one. Did she do that? What are you going to do with it? I'll bring her here. So you can do all your tests. And you give her to me. Charlie has the power. Do something bad. But you still love me. She can set things on fire. Something's happening in there. With just a glance. It is a power she does not want. Stick with him. Daddy, I'm scared. So am I, honey. A power she cannot control. Back up. And each night, she prays to be just like every other child. We haven't got her yet. We left. But there are those who will do everything in their power to find her. To control her. Charlie! And maybe destroy her. Charlie! Come to me, Charlie. Go! You would have to burn it down. I mean, burn it all down. Charlie McGee is Stephen King's Firestarter. Will she have the power to survive? The very first time that I was ever on a podcast of any kind, reviewing a, a film, I was on my friend Larry Parsons show Rank and Review, and it was kind of reconnecting with him. I was in university with him, but didn't know him that well. And he knew I was a movie fan, and I picked a Stephen King-themed episode, and part of that was Firestarter. At the time, I hadn't seen Firestarter, and I hadn't read Firestarter either. Since that review where, to be honest, I was very hard on the film, I have read the novel, so as a result, I have a better understanding of kind of what they were going for. And reviewing Firestarter for this show, I think the good news is that I've softened on it. Maybe the bad news is that my thumb is not really up on this one. But it should be interesting, an interesting conversation nonetheless. Uh, for those who haven't uh, heard of Firestarter, and this is actually, there's going to be a remake that comes out this year, as I understand it. Uh, Zac Efron, I believe, is, imagine he's playing the father role in it. So, But it's a, about a couple who participate in this uh, potent medical experiment to gain telepathic abilities. And they uh, then produce a child who is pyrotechnic, which means she can create fires with her mind. But the trick here is that she is a little girl and she's very susceptible to her emotions. As we talked about kids, the emotional roller coaster. And so anytime she's emotional or upset, she can light things on fire, cars, buildings, and we discover people as, as it goes along. And there's this organization called The Shop, which appears a lot in a lot of Stephen King novels, uh, very much in the Dark Tower series. It's uh, it's an element. And The Shop wants to get a hold of almost like some sort of like evil X-Men type of thing, wants to get capture the kids with these special abilities to use them for kind of military purposes and their own purposes. So these government agents who Stephen King always has as villains are chasing after this little girl and uh, her father. And uh, that's that's basically the premise. David Keith 
plays Andrew McGee, her father. And then, as mentioned, Drew Barrymore, post-ET, is uh, Charlie McGee, the little girl. And those who are fans of Melrose Place in the 1990s, Heather Locklear as a small role here as the mother, Vicky McGee. And to, to me, one of the most impressive things about this film, is so I'm starting off with some positives, is the cast that they got. They have a ton of Academy Award winners. Art Carney and Louise Fletcher play this really nice couple. They have this this farm and they, they kind of help out uh, Charlie and, and her dad at one point. And some stuff kind of happens as a result of that uh, to their property. Not an Academy Award winner, but a great actor, Martin Sheen. Uh, mm-hmm. Young Martin Sheen. He's appeared in a couple Stephen King adaptations like uh, David Cronenberg's The Dead Zone. He plays Captain Hollister, who's working for the shop. And probably, to me, one of the more problematic, and I, I have a bit of an idea of what this was, but I, I had the wrong idea about it the first time. I'm interested in your take. George C. Scott, uh, Best Actor winner for the movie called Patton, plays John Rainbird, who is a guy who is hunting Charlie, helping the shop out, but wants to keep her for his own purposes and it's a lot of stuff with that that I think I'm sure the updated uh, remake is going to approach that character in a very different way than uh, the 1984 version. Overall, good cast, interesting idea. I like the book better. I think there is potential for a really good film. Uh, Unlike the other Stephen King movie we're going to be talking about, I think there is room for uh, a remake and the possibility for improving upon the original. But uh, Firestarter, not quite there yet, but better than the first time I saw it. What are your thoughts on Firestarter? So I'm actually kind of in the position you were in the in, in your f- first viewing. So it's interesting just the order that I watched. Um, I just happened to watch the uh, the movies for this. And I this, I believe, was the second one because it was one that I, I wanted to watch it when Cat's Eye was pretty fresh in my head. So I think because it was earlier, I was really, and the one I watched right before, like in comparison, I was really positive with it when I initially watched it. And then kind of as I watched um, some other movies on this list, I kind of got a little bit more critical of it. I do really agree that the cast is stellar. I think that, you know, I my notes talk a lot about how much I enjoyed David Keith as the dad and Martin Sheen. I was really happy when um, that nice farm couple did not turn out to be. I, I, I have in my notes, I'm like, oh, they're working for the government. Yeah. They're def- they're working for the shop. I distrusted them and I felt so bad. Felt, felt so badly that I did not trust them right off the bat. But yeah, the cast, super good. The special effects for the time, really strong. But yeah, there's just, it didn't quite do it for me I think that I agree the um rainbird kind of stressed me out a little bit I, I yes he is supposed to I just it, it, I agree it would be interesting it, it'll be interesting to see what they do with that in the remake I I do think I think for her age I think Drew Barrymore actually carried it pretty darn well I think it's a really big role especially when you compare it to like cat's eye and yes it's very big you know very melodramatic but I mean how do you not do that as as a young kid dealing with a lot of intense stuff like you know trying to portray that I think that when I reflect on it as you know thinking about how up and down the roller coaster of the small humans throwing in that uh, pyrotechnic piece is just oh yeah that would be terrible I think of uh, some of the young young kiddos that I've worked with in my years and I'm like oh yeah if you 
Oof, that balance of, oh yeah, they're, what would happen if when they got mad, they could set stuff on fire? That's, yeah. And then the fear, and the two mm-hmm. that you talk about it is, For okay, sure. not even pre-adolescent. And when mm-hmm. she's going through early adolescence and so much is going on, what's going to happen then? One of my notes is, ah, yes, the fear, the fear of puberty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out where to go with this. Yeah. I, I guess I we're going to be talking about a lot of child actors, and mm-hmm. there's a real spectrum here. I think for Drew Barrymore sure. is asked to do a lot at a very young age. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why I'm a bit softer on her than the first time I saw it. I still think it is very much a child performance. And I yes. can see how she was directed. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this one, let's do a line ring where you're whining. Let's do one where you're crying. Mm-hmm. Let's do one where you're warning people nice and slow. Let's do one where you're pouting. Let's do a take where you're yelling. And mm-hmm. and it just becomes very obvious how that was cut together. Yes. Um, the, the other piece, I mean, yeah, the, I think a lot of the fire effects were very good. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't digital, which is really nice that, mm-hmm. you know, I... I I love that point in time when they were they had stunt people and they were working with real fire and they weren't mm-hmm. doing it with you know computers and blue screen and all of those effects. But what didn't work for me is every time she got emotional and there's a warning that something's about to happen, then they had the wind machine in the background and mm-hmm. her hair would start blowing mm-hmm. and cheesy wind sound effects and that still would take me out of the movie it did the first time it did this time so yeah it's almost too like it's too much right it's it's it does it takes you out i mean but this is where i'm like okay it's the 80s and it's a movie Mm -hmm. the one where i said i i have to remind myself it's a movie and you know on the whole i think it's actually fairly faithful to the book there there are some some differences for sure Mm -hmm. and they they did choose a different type of an ending i I think on the surface and not to spoil the ending but there's always spoilers on Mm -hmm. and, and the language and all that stuff on the show so if you haven't seen this movie from 1984 then or read the book then uh we might spoil it for you but i think you're looking at the last scene and like oh how nice everything is great everyone's burning she has the ability she, yeah. she still has this gift or this curse right like a like a, ch- a child carrie or something like that yeah. yet yeah. there's a, a real difference between what happens to carrie at the end of that movie and what what happens to charlie and well, yeah, like what happens if i mean carrie like that was like the big ultimate you know after years of pent up right whereas it's like mm-hmm. this little gal oh yeah like what's gonna happen when like someone bumps into her, <laughs> bumps into her on the street and she gets ticked off or yeah. yeah i mean when when she grows up then mm-hmm. she can you know control it hopefully mm-hmm. and I, I i don't know it seems like a very norman rockwell type of tacked on happy ending mm-hmm. but you actually have to think about how happy mm-hmm. this is it's certainly happier than what was about to happen to her yeah just to, to sort of clarify this this raining bird thing or did you want to say something about that first before i get into raining birds? no no i'm i i was just um it is very different than I don't know, I'm just trying to think of like a lot of King's stuff that, yeah, that whole like nicely tied up happy ending, very different from the other Stephen King movie we're gonna, you know, be talking about in a little bit here. Yeah, it is. It's just, it seems very, it seemed kind of out of place or odd. Like when you usually it's, it's not that 
that they won't give you the illusion sometimes of like a happy ending, but there's always like a little moment, right? There's a moment where they'll call into question, oh, hey, how is this actually going to end? Or is this real? It makes you question, oh, is this really a happy ending? Because there might be just a little close up of a kid's face with a little bit of a smirk, right? Or a small gesture. So it is very odd to yeah. have it all end. And it just, just kind of quickly happened, you yes. know, it's just, and, and then we have this kind of long shot and the movie's done. And mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe, maybe they were kind of, they had a bunch of different people trying to figure out how to end in the, this film. But yeah, if you get a chance to read the book. Um, I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I would like, I, every, every time where I've, I've seen the movie first and then I read the book after, and I know it's supposed to be kind of the reverse, whichever one you encounter first, you end up liking more, but mm-hmm. very much uh, I I preferred the book uh, and I saw the movie first. So mm-hmm. sometimes that happens. A couple other like nice things, like I, that music score, Tangerine, mm-hmm. who I've really discovered, like they did scores in a lot of 1980s movies really cool music score but I felt it, it felt like it was in between you know there's those really bad Stephen King films where mm-hmm. everything is is cheesy and there were certainly moments like that in mm-hmm. here how they handled some flashbacks like the the psychological experiments and how her parents met each other all of mm-hmm. that felt very uh cartoonish very corny um, it kind of reminded me of um I had a lot of scanners flashbacks oh yes yes when I was watching this and it was kind of like oh yeah like this is what happens in scanners you know so similar you know uh, people undergo um, testing or injections or whatnot and develop these powers and though I remember the one scene is like they they find um, someone who's undergone that pregnant or whatnot and there's this whole suppose about what a baby is I'm like oh yeah this is like so it's kind of like what happens to that kid after (laughs) after the movie ends yeah I thought about I thought about scanners a lot. Ultimately, I I I'd prefer to watch scanners again than uh, <laughs> yeah yeah. And somehow, just maybe Cronenberg is such a great director that, mm-hmm. and he often he operates in the extreme. Yet somehow he's able to balance the extreme with with a kind of a grounded at points story. Mm-hmm. And you know, especially when he's got into his Oscar bait movies later in his career, that's very much been there where you're watching kind of a down to earth story. But then when the violence hits, it's, yeah. it's really out there. And this the director here, Mark L. Lester. I just I probably was for type of job mm-hmm. by this point they realize like Stephen King movies are very profitable you get the rights to them they're fairly cheap to make and mm-hmm. this is the point when people were were now many years after Carrie came out The Shining was about four years before and the books are everything that he writes is a bestseller and the movies are are hits this was uh, just a safe bet I mean it's the same yeah. year as Children of the Corn and I think Christine might have been the same year or it was a year or so off from when Christine came out Christine might have been 83. Cujo was around the same time, right? Yeah. I mean, there were so many Stephen King movies in kind of that uh, mid 80s Mm. frame Mm -hmm. that they thought, well, it's going to work either way. And we get great actors who, you know, were signing up for these films and Mm -hmm. uh, having fun with the roles. And that's. That's that's kind of how, how that worked. Yeah. So so getting back to George C. Scott, great actor. Yes. Um, I, I think probably if I'm giving the acting prize for this movie, it's to, to Martin Sheen. He mm-hmm. somehow kind of, even though some of the dialogue is a little bit rigid mm-hmm. or whatever, he, he still seems to keep his villain character grounded enough. George C. Scott is acting the heck out of this mm-hmm. character. The problems with it are when I first saw this, I thought he was a pedophile. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you probably got the 
same thing too. And in in the book, they do a much better job of explaining that what he's interested in is is basically at the moment that somebody dies, he kind of takes their energy and then it makes him more powerful. And this is such a powerful child with this gift that he wants to be there to kill her and at the moment she has her last breath so he can take that in with this kind of unfortunate quasi-Native American lore. Uh, But the other Mm -hmm. problematic thing from a representation point of view, which they were not thinking about in the least in 1984, is that he's playing an indigenous character right and he is uh, very much a caucasian not, not indigenous yes so all yeah. those things i imagine i I'm, i will see the remake you know I, I don't have high expectations but i will see mm-hmm. the remake i i'm sure they're going to improve and hopefully clarify because without having read the source material we both ended up on podcast reviewing this without reading mm-hmm. the book first and then afterwards yeah i was kind of getting it i still think the character is problematic like all mm-hmm. around just several notches too creepy and i guess we're supposed to be disturbed by this but just the fact that it feels like more like a child predator and also then then the, this whole scheme they have where he pretends to be this caretaker once they've caught spoilers they catch charlie mm-hmm. and, and and then she's they're doing these experiments on her and they use him uh to become this this friend or confidant uh by him pretending to be this caretaker mm-hmm. and there's something just insidious and, and and creepy about the whole thing maybe that's good maybe that's what i'm supposed to be feeling wow i i just i it, it it took me out of the movie because i was just like what what are they doing here what is george c scott doing with this role or mm. in this role and now i get it a little bit more but that's probably an adaptation problem with their screenplay mm. that maybe we needed a little bit more on on rainbird to mm. uh to help us understand because he's the he's the penultimate there's lots of villains in this film but he's the penultimate Yes. He's the most evil of them all. I think like even just knowing, so again, have not read the book. I think that is really interesting to hear about. Yeah, this this whole, the motivation behind it, because I don't think that's explained well. So your mind goes to fill in blanks. So what else are you going to assume really when you have this man, this old man, older man obsessed with, so obsessed with this young girl, right? Your mind fills in the blank of oh he's a pedophile right now i guess i don't want i i'd be interested to read i'd, I'd be interested to read the book and and uh, you know like there's there's all this um you know there's critique to be had about you know a king is a white author writing a it was so he's indigenous in the book as well mm-hmm. is that yeah so you know like there's there's some things you got kind of go oh yeah like you have to be careful with that whole well, characterization like of a ritual right like you don't want to king has used this a lot in his work mm-hmm. and he very For much sure. the connection to, to maine and yes. indigenous groups from from maine yes. and when we talk about pet cemetery mm-hmm. pet cemetery is on an old indian burial yes. ground i mean that's yes that's in there and so now looking at it now it yeah you can choose to you know it's the model it's, it's looking at something from the past with modern with a modern lens right mm. and you can critique or you can notice it and you can say oh hey that was not appropriate or you know you can you can critique it or you can have thoughts about it. but at the end of the day that's it exists in the past was there anything else you want to say about firestarter not really i i think i just i really enjoyed martin sheen in it i thought he yeah. did such a good job of being 
that come cool collected and so reassuring but at the same time and then just kind of switching still in that calm cool collected to like get rid of or just get rid you know what i mean i he did i loved martin sheen in this i, I like when uh when david keith messes with his mind and, and then starts mm-hmm. to manipulate him to start to do all the things to try to help him and, and charlie escape mm-hmm. and that plan kind of laid in the film yeah. and then you just the switch over from the villain to that worked really well i think coming out of the whole thing martin sheen was my favorite there probably wasn't enough of him i don't know i'm always open to changing my mind but i i think now i've softened on it but i'm still not completely a firestarter mm-hmm. fan i hope to be a fan of the remake but we'll, we'll see on that one. yeah it'll be interesting to see what they do um i think it, especially like when i compare it to um some of the other films on this list it just it wasn't it had its great moments but it, as i watched more and more it kind of fell a little i think it has a lot of potential sure. and i would encourage if you're fans of stephen king to read the book if you haven't read mm-hmm. the book I, it's just not one of the ones that comes to mind as much or mm-hmm. i don't see it in the bookstores as much as I see some of his other work. So I think it's mm-hmm. slipped past you like it had slipped past me over the years. I think it's it's worth a read. You're going to have to be very patient with him in the beginning. Get him placed with adoptive parents as quickly as you can. They took him away from his real parents. He was abused or something. I don't know. Who are you? I'm Mikey Trent. Trentons don't have a kid. Now they do. You don't love me anymore. That's not a toy. I know that. Mikey, no! Um, I'm calling to inquire about a former student of yours. His name is Mikey Trenton, and he's in the fourth grade. Pilgrim was bad, so the turkey's fixing him. Officially, this case is closed. Mikey, put that down. It's not a toy. That's what you say. Hasn't he ever been checked out? Psychologically? Life is full of accidents. What are you talking about? The radio. It's not safe. Why not? Don't you know anything about his history? He's a wonderful kid. He He's perfect. Yeah, he's too perfect. Stop it! I've been doing some research into Mikey Trenton's background. If I had a girlfriend, I'd do anything for her. I think that there's something very wrong with Mikey. There's something very strange about him. I think that Mikey's in love with me. He's only nine years old. Why don't you like me anymore? No. Mikey, no! Dead people aren't the ones to be scared of. Living people are. I need all the information you can give me on Mikey Trenton. What do you want, Mikey? It's psychotic behavior. Mikey just needs a good, stable home. Remember, Jason and Freddy were kids once, too. Mikey. When when I grew up, there was this uh, wonderful TV show called Family Ties. And, of course, that was a big part of that and Back to the Future 
helped make uh, Canadian Michael J. Fox's career. And in the later seasons, uh, there was this little boy who played his much younger brother, and that's Brian Bonzel, who was a young actor. And then I saw as a teenager, this movie came out, and it was a horror movie with him as the star. And that movie is Mikey. And then I ended up renting it at some point. And I remember this feeling of being just genuinely disturbed by this film. And then I go more than 20 some years where I always remember this film. I didn't see it. I didn't hear anybody talking about it. And then this MVD Rewind a collection, they, they kind of take the VHS covers and then they've released them on Blu-ray, released this film just in the last couple of years. And I saw it somewhere and I was just so excited to get my hands on this Mikey movie, knowing full well that maybe the teenager version of me might be different than the 40-some year old version of me watching this uh, film. On the whole, I'm happy to say that the 40-year-old was still disturbed and ultimately fairly happy with this. I maybe see a few more flaws than I would have when I was a uh, younger viewer, but the this is a dark movie. I remember uh, the on the cover, and it's it's on the cover of the disc I have here. Remember, Jason and Freddy were kids once too. I'll never forget that. And you know. Mm-hmm. At the tail end of the Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, their first wave of a film every year. The idea of having a child that could turn into a movie monster, that was that was an intriguing idea to me. So Mikey, a seemingly sweet and innocent little boy, and he, he just looks like, you adorable. know. Adorable. Such an adorable, and you can see he was a sitcom kid. Perfect casting. He causes murder and mayhem in his new neighborhood, and he falls in love with this teenage girl who lives next door. So he's not kind of pre-adolescent but he's kind of in that where he's noticed discovered girls but he's not really at that the puberty range mm-hmm. so how how that kind of works itself out to me that whole section really creeped me out and you know as a teenager watching it but this time it, it's it, it still kind of works like he, he is a disturbed little boy the opening sequence to this movie is horrifying we you know i this this to me this is like a capital h horror movie honestly if you don't like horror, there's a couple of these I, I think may not be great for you. But th- this is one where we start off with watching Mikey basically kill his adopted family. You don't really get a chance to get to know anybody that well. And then we see the whole process that happens that leads Mikey into a situation where he is then being adopted by a new family. And yeah, and I, I just think the book ends of the film and what goes on in the main story that we get, it is all disturbing. And for a little while there, I thought, okay, if there was a flaw in here, it's just why do the adults not see the warning signs? But I'm happy to report that there is actually a teacher who sees the warning signs very, very early and is trying to alert everybody and they are not listening. The adoptive parents are not listening. That principal, Z teacher, Jim, who's he's a, a little bit more of a cartoon character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't believe it. The therapist is terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, yeah. Like, like all, all of those pieces and... And again, maybe I'm thinking of right now how we would see these signs and we would gain a vitra together or something like that for mm-hmm. a kid like this. Again, early 90s, they could have gone past this and like, oh, no, it's I, like a child can't possibly be doing the, the things they're doing. Then 
the teenage girl, it takes her a little while, but then she picks up on what's going on too. She starts to get creeped out by Mikey, but it's a little bit too late at that point. But yeah, the other the other adults are just completely clueless. I think when we're talking about, there's a couple, another movie, uh, The Good Son, we'll talk about later. And I, I think Mikey and The Good Son, they're companion pieces almost. Yes. Uh, they were released uh, essentially within a year of each other too, which is which is mm-hmm. interesting. This one to me might have an edge. It isn't as polished or as Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still like feels like a very independent horror movie, whereas the the Good Son had a big budget connected to it. But I felt like it it was just seemed a little bit more grounded. There were less things that were taking me out of the movie through the filmmaking techniques versus The the Good Son and kind of a similar type of rewatch to a movie I, I loved when I was a teenager. So all that to say, I, I don't know if it's nostalgia or what, or if I was going in, I'm like, I'm going to love this movie no matter what, but it bothers me a lot in the best possible way. So I'm a fan of Mikey. I don't think a lot of people know about it, and that's why I wanted, excited to review it and kind of mm-hmm. get word out about Mikey. What were your thoughts on Mikey? I will say I was entertained when I watched it for sure. But I think some of the moments that maybe I should have read as like just oh this is this is just ultimately like horrific and disturbing. I honestly like some of them kind of took me out of the movie a little bit or I kind of went oh okay like for example the initial family wipeout that you're talking about at the very beginning. Um, like one of the things that just sticks out in my mind is um, when the police are there and they're kind of investigating the scene one of the background shots is this little girl face down in the pool and I can see both sides I can I can see how that could kind of really kick home that oh this is horrifying disturbing the way I read it when I watched it or the way I responded was okay that's a little bit over the top for me so I was and there's things like like the way that I really like to know or even get a hint of an underlying like what happened so I think that the whole portraying this little kid as just like ultimate like oh yeah just total total devil from the start kind of irredeemable I don't know it just kind of took me out of it a little bit I kind of was like okay well why though and they have little hints of it where they talk about like oh yes he was abused terribly or there's hints of it but I just I feel like they're off I felt like they, it would just be kind of a little offshoot and back to the whole oh yeah look how terrible child is I think that little kid well what is what is the young actor's name that played Mike um right I think he did a really good job with what I, I yeah. think that he I mean he did fantastic with what he was given the role he was given right it's it was very much like oh the the sweet innocent little adorable child he did fantastic and then the flip to just total demon child he did great at that too I guess it was just the um, the stuff around it kind of took me out of it like the um, the happy-go-lucky dad doesn't see anything wrong and the the witch from like with the mom she does come you know she he's the perfect child until there's one little hint and then it's all of a sudden flip mm-hmm. to oh yeah no the dad's gotta go he's horrible no it's irredeemable i thought there were just like little choices like that that or little piece that kind of in that but i don't know if it would i i don't it would not I, I was it was kind of one of those times you watch a um one of my favorite movies is Gremlins. Not because I'm terrified by it. It's because I am entertained. I I giggle at it. It's 
I didn't think that it really hit the chords for me as as a horror myself. I think that even when you, um, the, um, the relationship, like the teenager, like, I was really disturbed by the interactions between this kid and this teenager. Like, the, um, yeah. I'm interested to like the, she makes comments like, oh, you're going to be a really good kisser when you're older and things like that. Just really lots of that gave me the ick. And I, I know that it's kind yeah. of 90s stuff. I just... And, and yeah, I, I mean, I have two minds about it. I mm-hmm. I, I feel like um, the, the, this is like the next door neighbor and they know that this mm-hmm. couple, they've been trying to have kids. And for sure. so then they, they have this child and and it's worked out and, and this child has had supposedly a rough background, but they have no right. information on what right. that rough background is. I'm sure this girl knows that and is thinking, okay, this is a little boy who has no self-esteem. And so in some strange way, again, you know, and maybe teenage brain way, she's trying to build up this little boy's self-esteem. I, I mean, I, I, I have heard of this happening with like uh, teenage girls and then their younger brother has a friend over and will make comments like this. It shouldn't happen, but, and, and then as a result of that, but not sort of recognizing what she's doing emotionally to this boy because she just think he, thinks he's... Yeah, I and I and I hear, I guess there were a little, there were like even like the paddle boat scene where she says it's okay to look at her and then they yes, zoom in yeah. on her cleavage. That, that just, it's things like that where I just, it was, I was uncomfortable. It kind of gave me the, the, and like you're right, there's definitely things that teenagers say dumb stuff all the time and... Mm. Um, you know, again, that it's that whole thing or the think through, right? You know, I'm intending to do this, not thinking about that. But well, that was it was a little too. If she's thinking I don't know, that, I, that he has this idea that okay, sex is wrong or evil or having the feelings mm-hmm. that you have is whatever, mm-hmm. and that's what she was trying to do there. I mean, I have to get into I don't know yeah. the, the actor's head and the character's head. Yeah. Uh, the other piece could be that she just she likes attention because for sure. I mean, she's out there every day, you know, this is obviously a very wealthy community or whatever. They're like sunbathing in her bikini or whatever. And I mean, like she has every Mm -hmm. right to do that, you know, but it's Mm -hmm. just that she she may not have, like she has this, and it sounds like she's had some, her own things there, but she has that boyfriend who's a bit of a jerk too. And, Mm -hmm. and that maybe like, I don't know, maybe that that she just, this is, this is how she operates or. Yeah sort of learn behavior I just, I, it, you know I, it's i don't want to like w- when the attacks happen and all the stuff that happens mm-hmm. or don't don't want to blame the victim but yeah she from the things she said i just wondered she the she could recognize i think that he had a bit of a crush on her mm-hmm. and so some of the things that she was doing was almost encourage that but then but, but then not realizing that she's basically i just wondered if there were too. other ways to portray that he had a crush on her other than like I don't think the intent was to make her seem predatory or anything like that. Yeah. I'm just like, as, as someone who has not, who did not watch this until they were, you know, they're in their thirties. I, and in 2000, I, well, you know, 20, 21, I watched it before Christmas yeah. for the first time, but I, that's one of the things that stuck with me. So I totally, that's difference between like your first viewing and my first viewing, yeah. I guess. Right. Mine was probably the, 1993 or 1994 mm-hmm. that I watched it and read yeah. VHS and yeah, 
different time. Watching it now, I was just kind of fascinated because I wasn't sure how that mm. was going to play out because I remember that mm. being kind of a very... I did, one of the other <laughs> odd things about this actor, Brian Bonzel, is uh, he mm. was in a, a Disney movie called Blank Check. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Mm. And in that film, too, there was a bit of a, a crush on an older woman and it handled in a very much lighter way, too. So it's yeah. also it's two... And within a few years of each other, these two movies, completely different tones and genres, but where they, they had this idea of this this little boy who was interested in... <laughs> and I don't like, I don't think it's an uncommon thing. I don't think, I mean, even when you look at um, lots of teen movies, you know, how often is the, is there a, a teenager character who the big thing is they get to uh, go after this older person, right? It's not an uncommon thing. I just was... I mean, like, that's, again, knowing about that, knowing what we know now, like, that's not good. That's not great, right? That's not a, that's, that's problematic, too. I just, that's, again, no, me viewing it um, for the first time in 2021 as an adult, that's kind of, it, it yeah. just kind of gave me a little bit of an ick factor yeah. myself. That, yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds like some of the sequences with, like, you know, the, the violence that happened didn't work. Mm -hmm as well for you i mean i think it's kind yeah. of uh, i i I've, I've seen that where they did that trailer making home alone look like a horror movie in some ways mm -hmm. it was like the traps that he sets yes. up are kind of like mm -hmm. the kevin McAllister traps in home alone to get the uh the robbers but in this case it's you know to kill the teachers and like the adults or and obviously he, he targets that boyfriend and you know it's kind of predictable what's going to end up happening yes. uh, to him but i i thought you know, when, this is one of the better child acting performances that we're going to be mm -hmm. talking about. In comparison to Drew Barrymore, I don't think there's a huge age difference between the two at that point. And he doesn't mm -hmm. feel as, as wooden as, mm -hmm. as her, but he's kind of asked to do it's to compare in the two roles is maybe not not that helpful. They're they're both very challenging I, roles, but they had to in both cases they had to discover the film. I some like I, I feel like in Firestarter there is a bit more of a a range. Like it seemed like in Mikey it was either he was that too sweet, too cute little dude or totally malevolent. Whereas I think with Firestarter, there was a little bit more of a, and it like there are more moments of in between, yeah. maybe. So, but that that turnaround you described there, where mm -hmm. in one moment he can be really kind of sweet yeah. and innocent, and then mm -hmm. and then just this within the same scene turns into oh yeah, this is sure. a dangerous, dangerous little boy. Yes, I mm -hmm. want to mention which is it's kind of to me a double-edged sword. The positive thing I think built into this for whatever reason. The screenwriters wanted to have a little bit of a criticism of this closed adoption system that was happening at the mm -hmm. U.S. in the U.S. at the mm -hmm. time, where you just have no information about the background of this kid and they adopt him. And I mean, that's just as far as coming from a trauma-informed perspective, you you need yeah. to know what has happened to be able mm -hmm. to be the caregiver and parent. And you know this fact this entire family has been murdered again they wouldn't have necessarily figured out that they were murdered by him but they would they would probably support him and be like oh yeah this kid has uh you know been through a lot and <laughs> we should know this yeah there's we to look mm -hmm. out for the warning signs and there are yes. a lot of warning signs that the adults could figure out and kind of get a better mm -hmm. idea and as far as the teacher who's trying to search this information out and probably overreaching for that time trying to you know get in touch with the 
police officer from the previous town and, and like all of those pieces uh, and mm-hmm. then finds out what's going on but it's again as, as it is in these films too late at that point figure it out the flip side which i think is the really negative side is a, a, a bit of a, a bad stereotype about adoptions that yeah. if and you ki- adopt, and kids who've been within the system for sure yeah that's a, a damaged kid type of idea which is irredeemable uh, and yeah yeah and, yeah and so that i appreciate the criticism but that but then i i wouldn't want that people see this movie and be scared off of adopting a kid because kids need loving homes and caring homes and mm. they aren't Mikey. I mean, that's, this is, this is a movie and this is, I don't doubt that there might be some children out there like this, but it would be very. There's a reason behind it. And it's a trauma, it's a trauma response, right? It's like, yeah, for a kid that young to show anything, any amount of violence, like is shown in the movie, there's something, something really horrible happening. Has happened or they've they've under it's it's a trauma response and that changes your entire body chemistry mm-hmm. and it's not someone who's evil it's someone who who needs supports right yeah a lot of my criticisms this time were, were nitpicky things about asking some questions about how things would happen and some of there's the odd bad line as there is in all these movies Mm-hmm. I it wasn't like uh, Mikey's funniest home videos. That that line at the time, America's mm-hmm. funniest home videos, was a, a number one show at that point. I have no idea why he was able to keep a, a video camera. Why he still had a tape of, that, yeah. of the video he took of murdering his family that he could replay. Nobody seemed to notice that he had this stuff. There's one point mm-hmm. when somehow uh, he he manages to get a skeleton inside the house. I, I yeah. I'm asking these hard questions. I'm probably yeah. going to be fighting the movie. And if you want to fight the movie, there's probably a lot to fight with. I didn't. I know. Well, I mean, like, really, I mean, the stuff that that kid, you know, is able to do without anyone noticing is just wild, right? Like yeah. the whole, the Molotov cocktail. Yes. And like <laughs> dragging how, like, not just one, like, dead adult, but like several dead adults to the dinner table scene. Yes. Like, yes. I'm like, yes. which is a great creepy <laughs> scene. I mean, but it's, yeah, like, <laughs> it was so melodramatic. It, oh, my it, goodness. It yeah. so intense yeah and i no. i mean i i went for it the whole way but i also like about this one you know firestarter has a very happily ever after type of a thing even though it might not be as happily ever after as we think it is this, this one, one has does such a bleak <laughs> final scene no. and i again I, I remember that that threw me because most of the thrillers and horror movies i would watch things would kind of work out and good would there, be some, yeah. good yeah. does not conquer evil in this and I still kind of want to stand up and applaud with that last scene because it makes me the whole movie makes me feel very uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. I think the number of movies I've watched to this point if a movie can get in there and make me feel uncomfortable I, I think ultimately it is doing something right and I agree I do not think it was there for me. The reasons why I felt dis- uh, the the reasons I felt that discomfort for me didn't come from the movie, the film. It was like the kind of quite like oh, like for me, right? Yeah. But I will say, okay, this is totally not related to anything we were talking about. But I really, really enjoyed the fact that the friend, like the friend that Mikey had, the the uh, brother of the teenage girl. I think of that that kid 
was in Jurassic Park and has a line that I think of constantly. And I so appreciated that he was in this movie. I was actually really excited when I saw that. And it's the kid that says, that doesn't look very scary. More like a a six foot turkey. And I think about it constantly. As problematic as the the teenage girl is, I thought Josie Bissett played her and I thought it was a good performance. For sure. And I mean, like she has, she like, that's, that is not a knock. Like my problems with it are not a knock against her because she has a script and she's given direction. Right. I just was kind of thrown back by the direction and the, the script choices myself. So I, I like it more than you do, but I had a feeling that the nostalgia piece for this to me lost movie, I don't want movies mm-hmm. to get lost, maybe has sure. given led to me mm-hmm. giving a few more points than than mm-hmm. so it's probably somewhere somewhere in between. So I encourage yep. people to check it out. Um, yeah, it's on YouTube. I was able to find the whole I was I was um I was able to watch the whole thing on YouTube. The full movie was on one file there. So Okay, so check it out it. on YouTube. Yeah. At precisely 10 a.m. in a quiet seaside village, something happened. Something unexplainable. Something unbelievable. There's a lot of pregnancies, much more than would normally be expected. All the pregnancies seem to date from the day of the blackout. This town is about to discover that looks can kill. There have been a few casualties. I should say accidents that might be related to contact with the children. My daughter was involved. Who are they? They have one mind that they share between them. Father? Let us pray. You've been discussing us with Dr. Vern. What did she tell you? You're hiding something. The police can't do anything to stop the children. Get out while you can. There's something so much more powerful than we'll ever be. What are you gonna do? The only thing that we can do. You can't stop us, you know. I know the 1990s weren't as successful for John Carpenter necessarily as the 1980s were, but you know, he, he was still producing quite a few movies. I mean, you might argue maybe in the mouth of madness was his crowning work uh, of the nineties, but in the middle there, he decided to uh, do a remake of village of the damned. Have you seen the original? I have not. It is, it is really good. I I was able to watch the original before uh, taking a look at this one. And I, I will say that I think the original is better, but village of the damned has a really bad reputation as far as the filmography of, of John 
John Carpenter. I don't think it's as bad as it's made out to be. It's not an amazing film, but for me, I, I was entertained by it enough to give it a very, very tiny recommendation. Uh, and I think, you know, Carpenter's touches work really well. The late, great Christopher Reeve, of course, in the lead role, it's nice to see him. Kirstie Alley, the other kind of main actor in here. And then the, the guy who steals the entire movie, in my opinion, and has the right approach to it is Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker himself. My note is we have Superman and Luke Skywalker in this town with these alien children. So how could you not love John Carpenter's Village of the Dance just based on that alone? It's essentially a small town where on this one kind of bizarre day, everybody loses time. The entire town goes to sleep at the same time. And when they wake up, every girl and woman is pregnant. And they all pretty much give birth on the exact same day to these uh, very strange looking children who we then later discover are otherworldly. And and then like the children are so intelligent that just with their minds, again, they can harm anybody who gets in the way of their master plan. I think I know what Carpenter was trying to do with the look of these children because they do look bizarre. They all have the like white bleach blonde hair. And I think he may have been trying to go for like a Hitler youth type of uh, Hitler's mm -hmm. utopia type of idea with with these to make these children evil. The advantage of the original is in beautiful black and white. The children were scary, but not distracting. And I think at points, the look of the kids is, it's just so bizarre that in some ways it, it kind of takes me out of the movie a little bit. But I think the performances are okay. I, I like this story. There's a couple twists and turns that are a bit different than the original. Uh, if you were to watch one of these, I would, I would go with the original, but I think as far as a remake, you could do a lot worse. It's not Carpenter's best, but I, I still like the music. I like the approach to the to the film. I'm also a big fan of, and maybe that's why I'm a Stephen King fan as well, these small town horror stories. They just seem to work for me. There were a few things that they could do in this version that could not be mentioned at the time that the original Village of the Damned came out. They were certainly talking, you know, they discussed the idea of abortions. That would have never been mentioned in the, the original virgin pregnancies they alluded to it but they didn't you know they weren't as ex explicit in the original as they were able to be in this one and the idea of a, a stillborn baby again was not a factor in the original but was was in in this one and i think you know one of the good subplots is this this child david and he goes through this process of learning empathy because that's the thing that these alien children don't have any empathy and they do actually get this one boy to learn it from from these various experiences, which I think was a, something that was that was handled a bit different. I like all of those pieces, but I also certainly recognize that there are a lot of things that are not great about this film. So I'm defending it, but I, I would not be like, whoa, you are completely out of line if, if one was to give a thumbs down review to Village of the Damned. What did you think of it, Kelsey? I, I I have the same feelings as you. Yeah, I um I think that there are some things that take me out. I think that there are some things that make me question, and I kind of recognize like them. I I think when I was watching it, I felt like there were a lot of little subplots going on that I didn't think I didn't see the purpose of. So like that's a critique that you know, yeah I'm thinking of like a like little hints of romance or whatnot where I was like okay like I don't think that that really did anything to the, for the story. Yeah, but I. I do yeah but i i think that i was entertained i actually um 
So I, I had never seen this one before and it kind of reminded me one of it's it's cool to see how shows or movies that you really like or that you like episodes that you remember and how this is clearly like they were clearly like in retrospect um, referencing this. So I really like kind of I'm thinking of a couple of episodes on uh, Angel. Yeah, I, I had a little flashbacks of my own because um, that haircut that you're mentioning, I'm pretty sure I had that haircut for the first, you know, six years of my life. So there's a little bit of a you know, trauma of my own trauma from there. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, oh no, I remember that haircut. Uh, so that, my own horror. <laughs> my own horror. <laughs> it really immersed me in the horror of that of that mushroom cut. Thanks, Bonnie, my mom, for you know putting that on me. <laughs> Yeah, I like the I I think I think one of my one of my struggles with Mikey that we, you know, just talked about was that there's that I like when there's kind of an underlying reasoning or there's like a little question of, oh, hey, is this person is this, you know, child, you know, that, that you have the large group of kids, they are, you know, the feeling like lack of feeling they are the they are like no empathy, die hard, right. But I like that moment of humanizing that one kid, right. Mm-hmm. That David, I loved my camel. That that was, again, to me, that was the best performance because he's playing it big, but it was the right kind of over the top, you know, and and he's one of the ones who knows that something is is wrong. But of course, then, you know, we know what's essentially going to happen to him, but we we, we just didn't get enough of him. But maybe it was, if it had been too much, then it would have been, might not have liked it quite as much. And I actually really like Christy Alley too. Like the fact that she just always has a cigarette going. Yeah. Like as a doctor, I don't, I just found that like just the women are all given birth. She still got her cigarette going just all the time. And I just thought it was hilarious. So like I was entertained when I watched it. I was, I was into it. I don't, again. Different from the original mm -hmm. character. Mm -hmm. But I think the, you know, 1990s trying to create a more layered female character and have a Mm -hmm. female character who has authority and is in power. Yeah. And that whole, what, what she does with the stillborn baby too, as well, that. Uh, all, all of that was really kind of creepy and I, I think on the whole well done yeah I think she's good you know it's it, it's not great I don't but no it's, but it's it's fun like she's in yes she's the right idea and the way they decided mm. to approach that character is the right idea Christopher Reeve you know I, I think he's trying his darndest mm. his his character is not doesn't have great dialogue and you know but he is trying to make as good a performance out of it and he has some mm. I mean I think kind of unfortunately laughable moments of the climax of this mm. film because of this psychic battle that's happening towards yeah. towards the end and like yeah. the choices he's making he's really the hero of the film but just just how, how that's done like he, he's given it his all it just doesn't mm-hmm quite compute but it's I wonder if it's never blamed him for for no 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 I wonder if because so it is like again I think we're kind of of the same mindset it is an entertaining film I think there's some cool things about it I liked I had fun watching it there are a lot of things to critique though right it's almost like those roles like Mark Hamill Christie Alley's where they they can have those extreme moments 
you know, like they, they don't wear Christopher Reeves. He had to bring a lot more like nuance into it. Or, you know, he's not an ex- that do- that character is not an extreme character. No. So that's almost when the script can be a little when the script can maybe have its moments of cringe and all of that jazz. It's harder to do that when you're not an over the top or a more one dimensional character, right? It's you almost notice it more, right? Or when they, when the other two and Hamill or Allie are being, you know, dramatic or whatnot, it's, they're doing fantastic. Like it's, they're, they're not melodramatic over the top, like he said, but it's, it, they're able to have a little bit more freedom with how they're portraying it. They don't have to think, oh yeah, now I actually have to go do this like really emotional scene later on, right? It's maybe a little trickier. Basically the small town doctor mm. type and yeah. you know not yeah. yeah it's often that what they'll, what they'll say about the central character in a film is not yeah. always a very exciting character and yeah but I, I know Christopher Reeve was just a wonderful actor oh, for sure. and I can see why they had all of the pieces in place here but it's it's really tough for me to kind of figure out where it went wrong it probably a bit in in, in the, the screenplay and it is to me still I'm giving it a positive but many, mm. many would not. Some pretty clumsy exposition. Show don't tell us. I, mm. I, I really, as I get older, I really notice when stuff is inserted just to handhold, spoon feed the audience. I'm also getting a little bit, and I guess I should just get over this with like unneeded jump scares. It's it's characteristic of these these films. But yeah, there's some things just I I really it would have been interesting if Carpenter decided to shoot it in black and white. I think it, and, and and played it up completely as a B film. Because it, mm-hmm. it does work. The older movie is a B movie and works better. Like some sequences, things like the green eyes that happen to just, I don't know, just looks kind of kind of stupid. There's the arm boiling mm-hmm. sequence. Yeah. I, I think they should have just gone out full on what Mark Hamill is doing. Everybody should have been doing. And Carpenter, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Big Trouble in Little China and uh, like so many of his films where he, he does play it big and not, not realistic. And maybe he should have done that with, with every everything but it felt like they were maybe trying to do a more grounded version of the story yet mm-hmm. it's an alien children killing yeah. small town yeah. story go so big I, or go home I also right like the angry mob with the town that that got a little bit ridiculous there's that woman who was yelling bible verses the scene with that poor janitor that was so over the top that was not in a good way i just thought that was kind of a mm-hmm. bad sequence and everybody could see what was gonna happen even though i thought that was an interesting character but it, mm-hmm. it just felt off tone with what they were trying yeah. to do. It was kind of like the last shot and the last shot in the last bit of the film. But like, okay, this was still John Carpenter. This is still a good movie. This is a worthwhile film. If you're a Carpenter completist, check it out. There are worse films in his filmography, but it's kind of in between. It didn't really disturb me in any way or horrify me. I mean, I think some people might have criticized it for being a little bit boring in places. I don't know. Between the colorful scenes and some other scenes, I was I was okay with it. I mean, but like when, when I talk about Mikey disturbing me at different times in my life, there isn't really, I wasn't like walking away. Oh my gosh. Oh, hope right. creepy alien children. I hope they don't come and get me and haunt me in my dreams. Whereas if I encountered a little boy like Mikey, I'd be like, oh, okay, what's, how are we going to, you know, how are we going to negotiate mm-hmm. this? I feel like they should have just completely gone for B movie or they had to do some very different touches. Choices. To, choices sure. to make Village of the Damned. And I'm sure like, even the title Village of the Damned, that doesn't suggest a realistic horror movie to me. Yeah, <laughs> like how how much can you really ground it, right? How much yeah. can you really make?
to take it out of that B genre. And I mean, hey, I love a good B movie. Like those are fantastic. Some of my favorite movies are within that genre. Yeah, I, I agree. I'd say if you get a chance to see the original, it's very mm. much worth your time. I think you'd enjoy it quite a bit. I enjoyed this. I was entertained by it, but mm. I'm not I'm not singing its praises from the balcony of my place right now. It's it's no. it's good enough. Not great. Yes. It's good enough. Anything else you want to yeah. say about Village of the Dam? Um, don't give your kids mushroom haircuts because they'll, you know, remember it well into their 30s. <laughs> <laughs> On, on Rank and Review, I, I did a, a best 30 of the first decade of the 20th century. And it was Larry and other friend, Lee Beckman, who's been on the show a couple times, the three of us. And as they went through their list, I realized I was not watching enough horror movies in that decade. And the movie, this British horror movie called The Children was mentioned. And afterwards, Larry kindly lent me a bunch of films that had been mentioned on that show that I hadn't even heard of. And, and I watched the children and as good as, or as disturbing as, as advertised. And for this podcast, I, I bought my own copy of it and watching it again, I liked it even more because there were these details that I could spot very, very early on that just gave it these layers and these levels that the average horror movie simply does not have. And I, I've kind of learned that British horror movies, they are, modern ones are vicious. They aren't inhibited, and for the true horror fan, you should be checking this out. Like another one in that mix was Eden Lake, which is. Uh, I was just going to mention Eden Lake. I cannot watch it again. Yeah. It's so good. I have a. I can't watch it again, though. I will read the synopsis every once in a while. Eden That's, Lake was so I don't so have a well copy done. of Eden Lake, but I, I'd love to review it on the show someday. And so I was just <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Like they're doing something, it's doing something so right. Good. Yeah. So essentially we have a family get together at Christmas and it's this relaxing Christmas vacation out in the country, this beautiful house, and it turns into a terrifying fight for survival as these children begin to turn 
on their parents. And then at the center of this is we have the adults, we have the young kids, but we also have this teenage girl who's been dragged along to this Christmas thing where she'd rather go to a party with her friends. And so immediately, like, she's not getting along with her, her, her mother over this. And she's being very kind of pouty. And she seems like she's going to be kind of the difficult one to deal with on this weekend. And what's so clever about this film is that she is stuck between being a child child and an adult and how she at points is kind of moves into a different gear and suddenly becomes the adult kind of late in the film when she's trying to help out the adults in this battle with the children but like the the, the heart of this film is you have a parent in a situation where for the good of everyone they have to kill their own kid and can you do that or not do that and if you choose not to do that then you would you would rather you're sacrificing your life it is dark I don't, strangely enough, I am fascinated and entertained by it, but it is a very disturbing, I, again, I, I think three of the movies we're talking about are deeply disturbing, and um, this one is is right up there with it, and I just think it's a solid horror movie, written and directed by Tom Shankland. Some of the other movies we're talking about are not that subtle, but I, I it takes its time to build up, and there's all these hints as to what's happening. The family dynamics are introduced very, very fast, but in a natural way it isn't like explaining the backstory as I was criticizing mm-hmm. Elja the Damned for having some clumsy exposition it's just watching how they interact with each other and like there's kind of the quote unquote cool older uncle who gets mm-hmm. along with the teenager and you know is like gonna smoke pot with her or whatever but there's something really off there because he, he's having marital problems and mm-hmm. just that and disclosing it to a teenager and talking about it yeah just how how he is talking to her and mm-hmm. feels like there's like we talked about the predatory type of stuff in in mm-hmm. Firestarter starter even more this time that's where I was mm-hmm. just like my like what is this guy doing I mean there's mm-hmm. and he's there's like, so many little that she got yeah. is like so encouraging this and mm-hmm. I, it is yeah he's very very flawed the adults are all flawed in one way or another but in a, a realistic way yeah. but like what goes on and there is a real bizarre supernatural quality to this where you know these kids get sick and and then there's these hints as to this some sort of this virus that is causing them to turn into these evil mm-hmm. monsters my biggest complaint I I, I mean I, I was I was looking for some stuff here because I, I I think I have very few criticisms but I, I have a huge problem and this it's used in the horror genre a lot Stephen King himself is is guilty of this in some ways but you is an autistic boy this boy Polly to add this creepiness to the film early mm-hmm. on and kind of continues with it throughout mm-hmm. I don't think that's a good choice and I think in 2008 when this was released you would hope it, that that would be an, um... yeah so that's that's probably the thing if, if your arms are going to be crossed and you're going to be wagging your finger at this picture it's going to be that character and that mm-hmm. how how all of that is handled mm-hmm. but I, I think this is just such a strong film um, vicious kills there's yes. you know this like this the toboggan scene to mm. me oh god yep oh yep. that is you see what's going to happen yeah. in foreshadow mm-hmm. but you cannot look away and you wish you could look away during no. that sequence. Yeah. it is so good and it leaves you much like mikey like you know a really bad feeling in your stomach at the end which mm-hmm. again i i give extra points to horror movies that at the end mm-hmm. make me feel that way so now I, i'm gushing I, so yeah. some no i am but 
I think this is just going to be a gushing se- section because I I love this film. I saw it for the first time. I think honestly, it's when I first got net when I just got Netflix. It was one of the first horror movies I watched on there, and it has stuck with me. So when I saw this on the list, I was jazzed because it's not on there anymore. So I got to steal your copy and watch it. <laughs> I just think that there are so many well done things, not just in those little the as as you say they they don't handhold you. They give you the relationship between all of the um, adults and kids the teenager they they do that in such a subtle way but you get hints of their you know you have them the teenager who is at odds with her mom because she's a teenager but also she's like you know that that whole feeling of being left out too because she is also the half so she's the oldest child but she's a half sibling to her you know being out of that group of kids because she's not only the oldest but she's the only one who is like her her mom's husband is her stepdad so you know that that adds a whole other dynamic to their relationship when everything starts going down the fact that ultimately he might you know see himself as like a like a parental figure but at the end of the day like my heart just broke for her because who does he choose in the end the relationship between the two moms like the sisters just little comments they make um about mom or make like questions they ask each other like it's just without hand-holding it is so clear about what their relationships are and what their dynamic is I think what made the like the gory scenes even more disturbing to me was the fact that they really use the fact that it's winter time and like that contrast between the snow and the blood is even more gut-wrenching anytime there's a chance that an animal has been hurt like that cat I instantly go into the music or the the way that as the kids get sicker and start they all of them start and it starts off with one of those little xylophones yeah and all of the kids start whenever they're around it's just chaos it reminds me of that school whenever we're doing like a big project and it's super loud you know not not the exact same situation but that feeling of just overwhelm when you're just overstimulated because of all the noise that's going on where you almost feel frozen like I felt that in the choices they made with um not the soundtrack but just like the like in the inclusion of those no that that auditory experience it's so strong and I I'm not a person I it takes a lot for me to watch a movie and go <laughs> and I did a lot with this movie yes. I think that the, the yeah, passing okay. of the virus too is clever because like yeah. little children are germ factories and oh yeah so they played on that that the one kid is sick and then has it gets spread to all of them and then there's yeah. the, the one girl who's trying to stay away from this but and she mm-hmm. almost knows what's going to happen and mm-hmm. then she and avoid it and uh, these are not prominent child actors no. but they are all good like all I don't good. see a, a bad performance in any of no, them no. and so as far as a, an ensemble of children this I mean it's a credit it's, to the direction as well that they were looked and act like kids and perfect casting too I mean and, and just like how how nasty like the kids when they turn they, they look but they're st- yeah. still you could sort of see how you could be blinded to this idea that they, well they're just these little kids but they are 
are right well that's what makes it so gut-wrenching right like how do you like as a as a, a parent how would you and i'm not a parent but i can assume and i can like how would you reconcile that in your head right like that's like oh yeah this is a piece this is this is like something this is like one of my, this is my most precious thing in the world this is the thing that i am protect like i will protect over everything else but yeah. then also it's just it's there's so many gut-wrenching moments and i th- spot on no i am um, and that's a theme throughout all of the movies that we're mm-hmm. looking at and like mm-hmm. and criticize yes. what are the adults doing in mikey but very much blinded to being a parent and this is this is my my kid uh you know a big protection factor of charlie and firestarter we're going to mm-hmm. be talking about with the good son in a few mi- moments too as well mm-hmm. this idea of protecting your children but also because of this love that you have it blinds you to blinds even you when you you can see in front of you what mm-hmm. these children are doing you still cannot take that that action you know that the, the one mother just cannot do what she needs yeah, to yeah. do it, yeah. she is more content yeah. to be murdered lose her life yeah to harm her child and mm-hmm. you believe it i mean you you honestly believe it it's not oh yeah how could she well, even happen? no yeah. no it's just it, it's yeah. impossible well and like that moment of like the the mom of the teenager that moment where like oh she was fantastic like the moment where it's like the the pain when ultimately like she's got to make a decision between two of her kids and the ending was just oh, the ending is just does not you, you just stir- do not, yeah not no. feel right no and then it, no it, it, is, it leads you to have so many questions and then you go back and and, and watch it again and i mean i was you know paying paying attention mm-hmm. to see how we got to that place again and i still am not quite sure i like this is this yeah. is one that you can watch several times and mm-hmm. i think you're gonna have a different experience every time for sure so this is what like i think when you're when you talk about your visceral reaction to some of the stuff in my that is what I get from this. Like this is what absolutely, yeah. My stomach just drops. Some like a little bit even just talking about it because yeah, they they just they knocked it out of the park. Like that's what I want. <laughs> and, and I guess one. for me, where, where I've been with with yeah, you know, I, I have those reactions definitely to the children, mm-hmm. but I'm so mm-hmm. impressed with the filmmaking and where I feel mm-hmm. like Mikey had some yes. flaws in the filmmaking, mm-hmm. but the situation itself just bothered me so much that where I'm, I'm almost mm-hmm. more disturbed by Mikey yet I could see how much better crafted the children is mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. film and I, I mm-hmm. was the first one I, I watched for, for preparing yeah. for this so it was a while ago that I watched it but it was this is such a solid film. why is this not a horror classic like, oh yeah well I mean, I mean it's watch The Shining over and over again and have a different oh, yeah. experience and to me this should be in that same type of conversation but it's because it, sure. it was shot o- independent and shot overseas it doesn't right. you know, it doesn't come to mind immediately of as being one of the great horror movies of the century but when when I finally saw it and I wish I had watched it before I did a list mm-hmm. of my 30 of, of that decade mm-hmm. it is uh, first 22 years I think it's one of the best horror movies that we have and like oh, yeah. Mikey I want people to check the children yes. out if you can get yes. your hands on it because it's not Netflix anymore it's a hard no. it's a hard one to get so I, I bought it off of Amazon and that was the only way yeah. I find it it's when I like I said I watched it years ago it was off net it's been off of Netflix for a number of years yeah. but I remembered so much of it from just seeing it a, a few years ago because it was so it, that's why I I will I'm sure at some point watch Eden Lake again but there's yeah. a reason why I had like I I remember it 
so or so much of it so clearly certain scenes right and it's they it, it makes such an impact the choices they made with a with everything they just it was a super well exec like it was executed so so well i'm gushing are almost, like, <laughs> almost like okay so the, the children from this film grow up and become the teenagers and eat in like i mean they're just oh uh, my god yeah, yeah. <laughs> how the british filmmakers present the youth of their country it's, it's kind of frightening and i i yes. think it's, it's working for me as a, as a viewer but mm -hmm. i don't know if i would ever want to meet any of these people in, yeah. in real life so um, <clears throat> but, but it's such a it, it, it seems grounded in reality yeah there's the supernatural piece but they don't overplay it you know it isn't no, some big I, have, I don't think they're, they all, need to. they're all aliens or anything it's just this has happened and deal with it and i i i just think it's it's a brilliant yeah. film so i think we're you know we're saying the same thing here people need to check yes. out the children. You know this one? Great big gobs of yeah. greasy grimy gopher guy, mutilated monkey meat, chocolate little piggy feet, french fried eyeballs, swimming in a pool of blood. Mm, that sure tastes good. <laughs> Henry, come on down here. Behind his smile lies a secret. Here, my two of them, so we could be brothers. Hey, Mark! Behind his eyes lies a plan. Who is he? Mr. Highway. Wow. What are you gonna do with him? And behind the image of a good son. Coming? So what are you guys up to out there? Sorry, Mom. Top secret. Where are we going? We're here. Lies the terrifying truth. Say goodbye. No! Do you know what you did? You could have killed people. I feel sorry for you. You just don't know how to have fun. What? You're a doctor. You know things. Well, some things. What if there was this boy? He did these terrible things because he liked doing them. Such a sweet little thing. It'd be too bad if something were to happen to her. Would you say he was evil? I don't believe in evil. Should. When innocence is just a mask. Do you really think I'd hurt her? You wouldn't. You are Mark. So violent. When trust becomes a weapon, <laughs> then anyone can become the next victim. Henry. No. Go. You think you could fly? Macaulay Culkin, the good son. I actually saw this in the movie theater, The Good Son, back in the fall of 1993. I was excited to see this. It had an impact on me. I didn't completely understand why it kind of got mixed to bad reviews. And then this, for years, I just couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, and then eventually uh, it did come out as Kino Lorber is the uh, distribution that, and their their goal is to kind of rescue these films that have been kind of forgotten and, and put them in physical media. And so I eventually got a copy of, of 
The Good Son, and I was excited to revisit it for this show. It had been many, many years. Interesting experience. I guess if, if I was to say a, a movie had diminishing returns based on my memory of it, it would be this one. Yet, I think there are bits that work really, really well, and some bits that don't work at all that I just wasn't kind of clued into when I watched this as a teenager. I, I think some of the Hollywood touches where I said Mikey is kind of independent and raw. Great composer, Elmer, Elmer Bernstein. Mm. One of the greats in the history of, of cinema. That music score is so from good. a completely different movie. I just yeah. thought, what is this? And every time, beginning of the film, every time it came mm. in, it was this really sentimental, and it was very much the way, like, uh, the 90s, mm. every movie had this big music score. And and now I'm a little bit more glued into it and somewhat distracted. This one, like, it it's, it was one of the big weaknesses for me because this is not, this is a very, very disturbing film. Mm -hmm. But it, it's interesting how it starts. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, the big thing was, okay, Macaulay Culkin's playing a villain. And that was mm -hmm. what got people to see it. But Elijah Wood, I've been a little bit mixed on him as an adult, as an actor, but he actually is so good. And, and Culkin is a tough role and Culkin has some really good mm -hmm. moments and flashy moments. But mm -hmm. Elijah Wood, kind of like Christopher Reeve in Village of the Damned, he is the anchor of this film and we start off with this really sad situation where his like his mother his mother dies and I guess some of that sentimental music works for that sequence and and then for reasons that I cannot possibly fathom right after and even talking about it at the funeral his dad played by the very talented actor David Morris is going overseas to to Japan on this bu business trip for it's supposed to be for about two weeks so then they go on this big road trip to drop Elijah Wood off to stay with his aunt and uncle and his cousins and his cousin and played by Calkin is is the same age and so the boys are playing together but is to include into the fact that there is a lot wrong with this with his cousin and we're in another movie where people are not really believing it and because of the grief that Elijah Wood's character is going through a lot of the stuff that starts to happen looks like he's doing it and he is the one who is the disturbed child and and not Macaulay Calkin Macaulay Calkin plays Henry and Elijah Wood plays Mark. David Morris is fantastic as Jack, as as uh, Elijah Wood's father. Unfortunately, he disappears for you know, Most at, of it. not even the first act of the film. He's gone and mm -hmm. we have some phone conversations and a few things here, but mm -hmm. he, we, we kind of lose this really solid actor. I kind of think no disrespect to the, the person who plays Macaulay Culkin's father, but he was definitely a weak link in here. I would have mm -hmm. cast David Morris as that father to give him more screen time. But the wonderful Canadian actor, Wendy Cruson. Uh, plays Susan, who is uh, Macaulay Culkin's mother. And this dynamic starts to happen where Mark is needing a mother and really clings on to his aunt. But of course, that makes Henry very jealous and then starts to do some things to try to get people really worried about Mark. And then if that doesn't work, he may try to kill him. And mm -hmm. Macaulay Culkin's actual sister, there were Culkins apparently all over the set. There was some, I looked at a documentary about all kinds of dynamics on the set. I think some of it was a bit exaggerated what was happening but but Quinn Calkin plays Connie the younger sister and soon Mark finds out that Henry has it out for his little sister and he's trying to find ways to protect her and those scenes on the whole work really well mm -hmm. but some of the like choices to try to make Calkin creepy don't always work like there's a there's a sequence in here a scene in here where I'm, I, I have questions where we just we just see that he's in the attic of the house he has a, a flashlight and he's he's swinging it around like in a mm -hmm. this pattern 
And I'm like, mm. are, are they suggesting that this character is maybe on, on the autism spectrum? Or like, I, I, I don't know what the thought was other than let's mm. try to make him seem a little bit odd so that we're more creeped out by this, this mm. little boy. But I think, you know, I, so somehow I, I'm a big fan of these thrillers, movies that were kind of played around in sort of the horror realm in the 90s. So I'm willing to excuse a lot of stuff and, and defend mm. Good Son. But when I watched it right next to Mikey, I thought, I don't know, what my I'm more willing to fight harder for Mikey than I am for The Good Son because I think there's some really obvious problems with the movie. So now as an adult, I can see why it got criticized. I think there were a lot mm. of people, because it was Macaulay Culkin, was the top child actor in the world at the time some people were really worried about him saying these horrible things that he has to say and like they build up to him saying the f word and smoking and like all of these different different scenes where i remember watching one re review of siskel and ebert where they were said it just doesn't feel natural when these kids are saying these things and interacting this way it feels like very forced and mm. And not quite right. Now, I'm a bit of a moral judgment in there, but we're talking about six movies where kids are having to do things which are morally re reprehensible. Right. And yet we're sitting here entertained and reviewing them. So I think no more than, than and maybe even Mikey even more so could do damage to a young person playing that role. Or, you know, we know what kind of happened to Drew Barrymore for a little bit and when she became a mm -hmm. teenager from being a, a child actor. We all have to say that I, I think it's maybe a, a bit of an unfair criticism, but I just think some of the directorial touches and some of the overproduction hurts the good son but mm -hmm. most of the acting is pretty good the two boys are good i just think elijah wood i don't think i recognize oh, him he, yeah. he he steals the yeah. whole movie away from calkin and everybody else and i think that that's why uh for me i think what i got out of the good son that i wasn't getting out of mikey was that you did have so i felt now it's not a visceral reaction like i did with um like i have with the children but i think one of the things that really kind of sat with me that I like that was that that helpless feeling so like Elijah what you know we talk about in Mikey where everyone's so oblivious and and people are as well and the good son but you have this little kid this kid who's who's trying so hard to like have people see and not and then you know be, that being manipulated to make it look like he is the one like I just felt so helpless for that little kid and like that kind of stuck with me I think that I the, there are definitely things for me that don't that that I'm like oh that's a weird choice like the the ending the end line honestly kind of the way it ends is just so abrupt and I'm like, uh, uh, okay, like the, um, oh, what, what is it? The, essentially just asking if the person would have still done it in the end kind of thing. Yeah. And then that's the end. I'm like, oh, that's a weird choice. So that was, the, that was like a key, like questioning moment for me. Mm -hmm. But I think that I liked the moments where they, or I, I appreciated the transitions from like just total, like they, one minute they're just playing like any two kids would be. And there's just like this slight little turn. I appreciate just the slight little turn into like, oh no, whoa, what are you doing? It was definitely, I appreciate the subtlety of, I don't know, it kind of, um, I guess maybe it made me think like, oh, this is really, I mean, you, you, I think about how sickly sweet that little kid Mikey is. And I'm like, oh yeah, like I would, I feel like if a kid is that sweet all the time in class, I'm kind of like, what are you doing? That seems... What, 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 I, uh, whereas Culkin, you know, that character is very much 
much. He's a typical kid, you know. He get they he gets they get yelled at for oh, don't run in the house. Oh, be careful. It's it's mm-hmm. typical kid stuff. Yeah. But then just all of a sudden, it's so quick and it's so slight to that. Oh wait, no. Oh, that's a problem, right? So I think I got more out of that piece of it. I guess I hear I love the dad. I wish the dad were in more. Like the other the but... other father is just such a a non-entity mm-hmm. in this film like he yeah he know, doesn't matter like <laughs> why have it so much about yeah it's so much about the mother and i mean it's, there's a lot of yeah. very you know uh Freudian well, and, things I, and, I, this, and again like i said in a couple of the other ones I, I like that at the end of the day there is there is a human or there is a moment where it's like i mean this kid is clearly you know something's going on there's something not quite right but when it's like well i did this because they took my mom you know like you took her away from me kind of thing right and it's not rational it's not a no. it's not a rational like or appropriate reaction to that but that that reasoning of like i am doing this because i am like this is like i am hurt this is uh-huh. i i don't know i don't know why i think that got me i appreciated that piece where i guess i, where I got caught up with calkin's performance mm-hmm. was there was that there's having that dinner scene and he makes up that oh yeah I, yeah says, yeah oh, no there like sleeping there, there was this younger brother who died which is a big mm-hmm. plot point and then we kind of mm-hmm. I mean you can figure out what actually happened mm-hmm. but there's all this guilt and mourning that the that Wendy Crewson's character is is going through if I'm gonna like ask some questions and again it's it's a movie and I we talked about mm-hmm. this at the beginning but what if it's a two-week stay why does he have a child psychologist in that town that he's supposed to go see like how do they arrange for this to happen and then like that that whole character it's a good actor I've seen her in a lot of stuff but that character is not very well realized because nothing makes sense like all of a sudden he goes there and she's having a session with with macaulay calkin and he turns around like, uh, like that, that a was, moment of like hello hello cousin it, it just <laughs> not, none of none of that worked mm, you think sure. again they would have clued into this secret hideout shed where all this disturbing yeah. stuff yeah. has been kept just, a lot sooner yeah. than when when she you know towards no the adult things to go and check like and that and that fort is really high up in that tree no adult things to go like oh hey i'm going to check and make sure that the tree fort is secure because if it falls down that's going that's going to be a bad situation oh wait look at all this horror like this horrifying stuff totally yeah absolutely so i mean but also mikey but mikey dragged like four dead adults to a dinner table and set them up and and made a molotov cocktail jason (laughs) (laughs) i I like that movie more so that's why i'm excusing it Yeah, yeah, I I know I don't have a leg to stand on with that one, but it's just, I I guess, you know, they're boys and they're playing outside and let them play, again, a different time. This wasn't the helicopter parent era where people are, uh, you know, checking on absolutely everything that their kids are doing at each moment of the day. So it would make sense that this boy has this secret hideout or whatever, he's very protective. But But you think think when you're in bed, you could like go up and, you know, just check you out. Criticism is totally fair, and I'm not taking. I just had to get that. I just had to dig a little bit. I just have to do a little bit. Which 
is which is more ridiculous. But there's a lot I like. I mean, I you know, I I, mm. I guess it's I kind of like the ice skating sequence yeah. where he's trying to find a way to off his sister but make it look like an accident. And yeah, and then Elijah Wood is like running, and you just feel the tension that all the yeah. stuff that this poor boy is having to go through. And yes. the last thought of I wonder if she would have dropped me or something. Like may, maybe part of it. I know it's a kind of a weird last thought for the film, but if they suddenly switched into the mind of the mother, like after this, we don't see what happened. Mm. The guilt. I, th- mm. I, don't, I don't care if your if your child is this type of a person. She, she's already lost. Oh, one she's time. There, there's gonna the other the daughter is hospitalized. Mm-hmm. And and now lost another child. Her, yeah. Her oldest. Yeah. Kill. What could yeah. I have done? Where have I go gone wrong? And, and the thought that he's not at like you know at that age he, he needed help he needed treatment yeah. but mm-hmm. he, he could have been saved he he is not again he's not yes. the devil but he obviously had issues as far as mm-hmm. wanting to have his mother's attention all the time mm-hmm. and anybody that would get in the way of that he he would be willing. Willing to go to extreme measures to get rid of. He needs um, some regular, some self-regulation skills. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I like the poster and yeah. evil has many faces. To me, again, not as catchy as uh, Jason and Freddy were kids once too. But that, <laughs> I'll so, give you that. I'll give you that. But I, I like both of these movies. Mm-hmm. Yet it's one of those ones where I, th- I feel like, should I like these movies? <laughs> To my to my knowledge, those young men grew up and are adults so that they're they're fine and yeah. you know so this didn't do psychological damage. I know going back to Linda Blair and The Exorcist, there were all these rumors that that her life was was destroyed. No, she had a, a an acting career well after The Exorcist was done. It was even in the sequel yeah. and she was fine yeah. too. So as as long as you have kind of the right people there to support the kid after they've taken on a role like this, For sure. both both of these they, they were the top two child actors at the time and I think they were both did really complex work really well I just mm. think Tolkien was the flashier role Elijah Wood was the more subtle and as I get older the I, more subtle performance presses me more I think well especially when you know you think about um, some of the other again they're kids right like it's there there's a lot of nuance that especially when it comes to you have a camera on you and trying to imagine like it's it is it's hard it's hard right so it yeah. makes sense why lots of it like like lots of it tends to be you know a little bit over dramatic right or you know some of its direction right right the fact that wood is so is so subtle and does such a good job like it is like he very i enjoy him as an adult actor but i um i haven't seen him a lot seen a lot from when he was younger and i was really impressed with how well he was able to carry that off he's turned into a he he works in horror a lot and he's turned into Mm -hmm. quite a producer yes and i think maybe i need to see more of his horror movies i've watched a couple should, of them. have you watched cooties i haven't you need to watch cooties yeah, yeah i'll have yeah. to look out for for cooties mm-hmm. i had heard of it yeah. anyway I, i'd recommend the people if they can seems like the theme for a lot of the movies if you can get your hands on the good son give it a day in court it's on uh, disney plus oh yeah it is on disney because of the fox yeah. thing yeah. so yeah. i think you know check it out it's i still like it i just it was not yeah. as much as i thought it was amazing when i was uh <laughs> when, when i was whatever 14 years old now yeah. it's it's pretty darn good. That's where I am right now. At the edge of the woods, behind the Creed's new house, is the old animal graveyard, the place where devoted pets are laid to rest. Daddy, is church all right? What is this place? 
I brought you here to bury Alan's cat. I dreamed he got hit by a car and you and Mr. Crandall buried him. Why, Judd? I had my reasons. What did we do tonight, Judd? What we did, Lois, was a secret. But some don't stay. May the Lord bless you and keep you. No! May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. You're thinking thoughts. That's not thought of, Lois. That's why no one ever buried a human being out there. You're thinking of putting them up there. Don't deny the thought hadn't crossed your mind. And why nothing ever rests in peace. If it doesn't work, I'll just put him back to sleep. Come back to me, Gage. Come back to us. Paramount Pictures presents... Stephen King's all-time best-selling tale of horror. Gage? First I play with Judd. Ah! Mommy Cage, I play with Mommy. Ah! We had an awful good time. What did you do? What did you do? Pet Cemetery. Now I'm going to play with you. I've often credited Stephen King as the reason I'm a reader. And it was because when I was 11 years old, I don't know how it happened, but I had randomly picked up a copy of Pet Cemetery, and I could not put it down. And it's funny because it is one of his nastiest books, also one of his most concise books. And I, I didn't see the movie until a few years later. I wanted to. I, you know, I was maybe still kind of a little bit too young. I, I wasn't watching many horror movies, but my introduction to horror was actually through literature more than it was through watching movies. And King was a big part of that. And it was nice to see when I finally saw Pet Cemetery, even though there are differences, and we might get into it from, from the novel and this film, it was nice to see how, on the whole, faithful it was. The other thing which at the time I didn't realize was such a rare occurrence is that, and I'm talking about the 1989 one, which I think should be the only one. Anyway, (laughs) I'm still mad about the remake. but Yeah, it wasn't. This was one of Stephen King's screenplays. And there are very few moments in here where I'm wincing with the King dialogue. When he writes his screenplays, he he puts in the dialogue that you can sort of auto-correct for in his novels. But... In the screenplay, it doesn't always come across well. This is his best screenplay, hands down. It also has a great cameo by him. He plays a priest partway through the film, and it's sometimes when he shows up, it's a little bit distracting. He, he does a good job with his very brief role. This was also at a time where there were very few female directors directing horror, uh, directed by Mary Lambert, who did a just a... A wonderful job. I think this has the right to be called a horror classic. The book's a classic. This movie, so as much as I was gushing about the children, I I will have very few negative things to say about Pet Cemetery from 1989. Uh, This is another one that when we get late in the film, it's one thing to read it, but to see what's happening, very, very disturbing, very violent. 
you know, and even before that, there are some very gory, bloody, disturbing scenes, which I still kind of, every time I watch it, I go back to the first time I saw it and the impact that had mm-hmm. on me, including the the accident victim at the beginning who becomes kind of the, the ghost and the conscience there for our main character, Louis Creed. But the Creed family, if you don't know Pet Cemetery, they moved to this really beautiful house in Maine. Nice thing about it, there was an insistence that this was actually shot in Maine, and it was shot in Maine for Pet Cemetery, this version at least. But after uh, tragedy strikes for this family, a grieving father who has been shown by his across-the-street neighbor, this ancient burial ground, decides to first raise the dead as far as raising a pet back from the dead to try to cover up something that's happened, which would be very tough for his daughter to deal with, and then extends it into some really dark territory. Everything about this film works. I I love the performances. To me, this was way more horrifying than, say, the child play movies, which were big at the time that, that this came out, because of what ultimately we... We start to see happen with this little boy and the youngest, I believe the youngest kid of the ones that we're talking about in any of these movies, Mm -hmm. which makes it really, basically barely knows how to talk Mm -hmm. and is put Mm -hmm. in a situation, spoilers, where he is killing folks uh, towards the end. I I like everybody in here, but I think my favorite, and he plays it just right, Fred Gwynn, the late great Fred Gwynn, Judd Crandall, the Across the Street Neighbor, he he is so thick, main accent. He's a big Stephen King character, but there's several layers to what he does, and he can't help himself but tell the family about this pet cemetery and mm-hmm. uh, all the mythology around it. But then he soon realizes that this has led to a like the biggest mistake that he makes. Mm-hmm. The other piece is about this property that's too good to be true in real estate. Too good to be true is too good to be true. They are living with their young family on this this road where these giant Mack trucks come whizzing by several times a day. Just the whole setup. And King said that he wrote the book and he would write a lot of books out of a fear that he had. And at this point in his life, when he wrote it, it was a fear of losing his children and what would happen if he lost his child. And then he enacts it mm-hmm. using, again, all the some of the tricks, the supernatural stuff that he would bring in. I have very little, I, I said that more than once, very little criticism of it. I, I love this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I really have a soft spot for, for most of the movies we're talking about. But if I had that Sophie's Choice at the uh, at the end of The Good Son there, uh, yeah. which movie I'm holding, I can only pull one off of uh, the cliff and rescue it. I'm holding on to Pet Cemetery. Yeah, for sure. What do you think of it? I'm sensing you probably like oh, it. Oh, I, I do. No, actually, this is, I'm fairly certain that this is the first King film that I saw. And it has stuck with me a lot. So one of the reasons is that that just adorable little blonde child that ends up being the um, cause for so much terror, terror. At that point, my um, my cousin's little boy was about the same age and is pretty much a carbon copy. (laughs) So it added a whole extra layer of, oh, I'm not babysitting Liam anymore. (laughs) But I just, I, I think the fact that he wrote it, you know, you, you write about your fears, what, what you are fearful of at the time. Well, like what that whole investigation to, okay, like what if the most terrible thing happened? What would like happen to me? What would I do? What are the lengths I would go? He did such a good exploration of that because yeah, that whole, you have the, 
like it 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 sticks in my mind that that shot of that little sneaker you know like what they don't even show they they don't do well, not show anything in that in that scene that is inherently like they don't there's no blood there's no i mean other than on that sneak but that's that's such how do you get that little runner out of your out of your head and that scream like the reaction was just so guttural uh you think i think about like zelda that's that that is like i i put up that those scenes against any yeah. horror movie i still have a hard time watching the zelda pieces this it is, is so disturbed and just the way that they like they talk about it's learning to deal with death but it's like you know running away from grief or whatnot holy hannah denise crosby really solid Mm -hmm. actor plays uh, rachel creed and this is about her sister who was sick spinal meningitis and yeah and and she was put in the situation where as a young girl, she had to look after her sister and her parents left and, and the trauma from that. And that comes back in these nightmare sequences. Mm-hmm. And then that's used very effectively yes. throughout the film. But that, that is just an out and out scary sequence. I mean, I, I you know, oh, yeah. and it's one of many. And I, I just don't, don't see kind of the wink, wink goofiness. No. Stupid comedy that sometimes yeah. the, the King stuff sometimes has a little bit of a light edge to it. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, Pet Cemetery and it, and there's like there's a few of them that are just super nasty, but yeah. most of them are not like that. Like this is where he put mm-hmm. all of his horror energy in. You look at the 1,200 page it. Not everybody's mm-hmm. going to be reading that. They may see all the film versions, but I think most people can handle reading Pet Cemetery and the impact oh, okay. is just as strong. Maybe I might argue even stronger than the epic novel that is it. And I oh I think so. I feel this this film version is better than any one of the three film versions of it. I just I think that like this is this is one where I have I've read the book and I've I've, I've watched the movie and it is I mean there there's small differences right I know that in the in the book Judd's wife um is a character right so yes. um, whereas in the movie uh, she's already passed right and there's yeah. there's some there's some piece that would be just fine if they included but the they made it is such a good interpretation of a book there are so many there are so many times when the translation from book to movie it really gets lost right uh-huh. and it like not then that's okay right like it's it's a different interpretation there's things that you cannot do feasibly in a movie that you can do in a book but holy hannah they did such a great it, it was it was so well done i thought that it was just as scary reading it as it was as it was watching it right and that build of like well i'm just starting off with the cat right i just want to i don't oh i just i want to protect i want to i don't want i don't want my kid to hurt i do not want this and that that subtle build to like oh now what are you now what are you doing right and oh now i've gone one step further and one step further and how do you get yourself back in the end he doesn't right like that's that dark dark like it's it's still a, if I just do it this time, do it this way this time, that whole ins- insanity is doing the same thing over and over mm-hmm. again and expecting different results, right? I'm going to crack the code. I'm going to crack yeah. the code and I'm going to, I'm going to beat it. And nobody has. No! The other thing I, I like is there, there's a subtle change with the end of the movie and, and the end of the novel. Mm-hmm. But it was about perfect. I, I, yes. I had no problems with it. 
because mm-hmm. we, we see what's about to happen yeah. and we go to black and then we get, I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery like that music. And just yeah. such a catchy song for yeah. years that's been stuck in my yes. head. That could have been yeah. really cheesy, but mm-hmm. to me, somehow the way Mary Lambert, they edited it and put it together, that worked for me. For sure. I also really appreciated, um, so the other child in the movie is is um, Ellie, right? Yeah. And I think, she, I mean, she was like, oh, well, she had a little melodramatic, but like, that, it was the perfect, like, little kids are very melodramatic. I don't know yeah. if you if you. <laughs> she she just she did such a good job too like the um, daddy's gonna do something real bad and this is kind of like the danny the shining like he he does this with with kids where they have this can sense what's happening yeah you know and it's through dreams or whatever but yeah i thought she was good Mm -hmm. and i believe them as children and gage was you know Oh, they're very young. He just got the, the cutest child. Yeah. Just the cutest. But also this that performance worked really well. Yeah. The no fair as he's like that like yeah. that just that cute little voice. It's not anything demonic. It's not yeah. anything like otherworldly other than the fact that he's doing the things, but the no fair. No fair, no fair, no fair, no fair, no fair. Like still such a two year old. Which is exactly yeah, what it's really <laughs> It, it really works. It's so good. But, you know, the challenge is if I'm ripping a movie apart on this show, I want to mention some positive things. And if I yes. am singing its praises, like we both you are, wanna I, do, I want to bring up a few things. Mm-hmm. Now, this movie can get away with it more than some others, but it's such mm-hmm. a cliche to have the jump scare with the cat. And yeah. But it makes sense because the cat is pretty key to this film. So I'll, I'll, I'll give it that. Yeah. So I guess maybe because I was focusing so much on, on it, you know, I, this is still, I think King's best screenplay, but there's the odd line. There's this, this really stupid line in there of don't shilly shally kind of early on. Like nobody would actually talk that way. That's, uh, Stephen Kingism. Yeah. So when, when the cat has been brought back from the dead, Mm -hmm. those, zombie those cat eyes it would come and go like Mm. there were points where i would really notice where it was normal eyes then suddenly for the convenience of a scene then they would be they were gone uh that that wasn't always consistent that funeral scene gage's funeral scene is so over the top i mean it is with the the little hand well the hand like the father-in-law they get into a a physical altercation i I just thought that was too much you know Mm. i I get the idea and it's all this this, and they build up this tension and certainly Mm. there's this idea like blaming the parents for for the zelda incident and just leaving her alone with the sick sister and all all Mm. of that comes out and then like they they hate their so even though he's just this doctor and I, I don't, I, I don't. All yeah, they never really clicked. This funeral, but I, it, it was a step too far that the casket gets opened and the body gets revealed to everybody. They're really shoving it down your throat. Like, oh yeah, this is really terrible. The sneak, the sneaker got me to know that. <laughs> but I, you know, compared to some Stephen King films, that would oh, be yeah. nothing. And really, this isn't much. This isn't much no. to complain about. No. I don't think I have to sell people on Pet Cemetery. No, I, mean, I think there's a reason it. why. Yeah, there's a reason why it's a classic, right? Like yeah. that, it's rightfully earned that. More people will definitely have seen this. They might not have seen the the children or yeah. Mikey or even the good son, mm-hmm. but I'm sure a lot of people have seen this, and mm-hmm. so it's not a surprise that you know it's yeah. 
it, it's really great. Well, and I, yeah. Yeah, I don't think we're disagreeing on much with this one. No. And I think the nice thing is, I mean, like there's little, there are going to be things that um, don't stand up to the test. Or, you know, there's things that are going to date a movie, right? But I think it's still, it's not one of those that, you know, some older horror movies you watch. And it's more like you watch it because it's a class. It's a classic, but does it really like invoke that horror that the original probably would have for its audience? That it would have for its original audience? Mm-hmm. Not all the time, but I think I watching this. I mean, I it was prob I was probably I was a teenager when I watched it for the first time. So came out in '89. It would that would have been in the 2000s. And watching it now, just recently, I'm still I'm still watching it kind of wide eyed and tense and all that. So like it really that it stands up like and it's not just uh oh hey I'm watching this because it's a classic. I still cheering for things to not happen that happen, and I know it's going to happen, but I I still am so into it, and it'll have that yeah. Give me that feeling. And I think Firestarter could improve itself with a remake or there's different things that they could do. There was nothing to do this one though. (laughs) Nothing to improve with Pet Cemetery. Uh, And their only way that they could have made that successful is to follow what Mary Lambert did to a T and use 21st century filmmaking technology. And they chose to go in a very different direction. I mean, sometimes, sometimes dead is better. You can't, you can't. Just leave it alone. I mean, horror is notorious for many sequels and many remakes. And sometimes the remakes work. I'm not, I'm less of a, the remakes all suck type of thing. I'm I'm getting, but there's some that I just don't think should be touched. I think sometimes I wonder is like how, so now I was, I think the ones that I enjoy are ones that make a dis like a, a significantly different a significant shift in how they're seeing it, right? Like I enjoyed I did enjoy the the Evil Dead remake. I did. Um the one with the Jane oh gosh, I forget her last name. But the original was such a the you know, like it was it was like very like teeter it was that comedy piece, right? I, I enjoyed the like, oh hey, reimagine it as like just straight up, there wasn't a whole lot of comedy in there at all, right? Where it seems like the remake of this one, it really only, it didn't need to be touched. And they what they touched was silly. I, I need to revisit that Evil Dead remake. I think my arms were crossed and I went in with a bad attitude when I first watched it. I, I, right. I'll look at it again. Lots of people love I also, that one. Again, when you go into it without that, I had not seen the original. So, I, and I did not have no. that like, nostalgia i did not have that connection to it so that also impacts how you view it if you if you haven't unless you really have problems with the horror genre 1989's pet cemetery check it out i think it holds up it's oh yeah it's aged well
Kelsey, thank you for being back on. And I think we're we're going to hear from you again fairly soon. I yes. uh, This thing I'm going to be doing with my 50th episode, you're going to be a part of that. So looking mm-hmm. forward to that. But it's great to have you on and you will always be welcome. And you have your choice of what, whatever you want to talk about next time when we have a, a traditional episode. Let me know. I'm, I just love talking movies That's with good. you. Yeah. Awesome. And I, yeah, I appreciate your willingness. It's a, basically 12 hours of your life. When you're busy working on a master's program, teaching. (laughs) I mean, I was actually quite uh, thankful for it. Um, When I, it's kind of like a, it's like an escape when I'm like, oh, I should be writing my paper, but I also have to watch this movie. I'm going to take notes on it. I'm going to, I'm going to set that paper aside and I'm going to enjoy this film and judge it. I really like judging things. So, you know. And it's also, I think in some ways good for your mental health, even though these are just movies we're looking at, but uh, just to be able to have that balance of the work and being a student. And I just know from my time, being able to do some things like that was Mm -hmm. gave me the energy to be able to be, do a great job with my master's and the various roles I was teaching and Mm -hmm. learning how to be a counselor at the same time as I was working on my master's. And so to be able to watch a movie or just do something for me helps, even though this is sort of help, something that help you're doing to help me too by being a guest on the show. But Well, I mean, but I, like even just like the fact that, okay, so when I'm watching, like, like just kind of being able to kind of give yourself that permission of I'm watching this movie and I'm not going to be zoning out and thinking about, oh, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch this because, because I have, because I have to know what's going on when I talk to Jason about it. So yeah. that's, I appreciate you're, you're that. You're, like there's some movies I, I enjoy when I'm not watching for the podcast where I could just put my brain on hold and just right for and, sure. And like oh yeah, I don't have to analyze this right now. I don't have to write notes or or anything. Yeah. I could just both have their watch. place. Both have their place. But then I do mental notes like, okay, if this is ever on the show, this is probably something I'll be talking about. Yeah, yeah. I can't completely yeah. uh, rid myself of that now. Let's go through the points here and then find out okay. what's uh, what's going to happen. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see how this plays out. So in, in the order that we uh, talked about these, let's start off with Firestarter. How many points did you give Firestarter? I gave Firestarter six points. And then we uh, were looking at Mikey. I gave it four, Jason. <laughs> Sorry. That's I'm okay. so sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna feel really we're, bad. We're going, going in different places with that one, and that's all right. Um, that's okay. That's why I have a guest on to give me some perspective. Then <laughs> John Carpenter's Village of the Dam. I gave that one ten. The children. I gave that one fifteen. Yeah, and the good son. I gave it twelve. And finally, pet cemetery. I thirteen. So I, the one I was hardest on was our first one, Firestarter. Mm-hmm. I said it improved a little bit for me, but still not great. I, I only gave Firestarter three points actually. Then uh, when we moved on to Mikey, and we were in very different places, I gave twelve points to Mikey. Village of the Damned, I gave eight points to. I, I understand the criticisms of it. I was entertained enough, but again. And some of the other films it's not quite as strong but uh the children we were pretty close on this one i gave 14 points and then when we're looking at the good son it was a bit harder on this one uh, as i said it, it diminished mm-hmm. from my first viewing many many years ago but i still gave it nine points i i like it uh quite a bit but then of course and this is how much i respect the children i actually gave the same number of points to the mm-hmm. children as i did pet cemetery 14 i'm wondering if in 20 years if i look at the children i'll be feeling the same way that I do about Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's it should be a whole classic and it it just yeah. doesn't have the attention that 
that Pet Cemetery does. The total points, actually, the children was the big winner, oddly enough. He got 29 points, which is more than Pet mm-hmm. Cemetery. Pet Cemetery got 27. Third was The Good Son with 21 points. Followed fourth, uh, John Carpenter's Village of the Damned, 18. Then in fifth place was Mikey with 16, uh, thanks to the 12 I gave it. And then Firestarter, it got nine. So this has happened to us more than once. My copy of Firestarter is purely digital. I don't have a a physical copy of Firestarter. So I'm forcing you to be creative about what I'm supposed to do now with punishment or or, or whatever it is. So um, I'm thinking that I would like you to pick your favorite Drew Barrymore, like a little monologue. And I would like to create um, your own. I, I would like if like, I would love to see you with like a little with a little blonde wig with pigtails. And I want you to I want you to um, recreate a scene from Firestarter where I want you to pretend that you are like eight year old Drew Barrymore playing. And I'm, and I'm totally from Firestarter. Like. So once again, I. It's always- <laughs> I, I failed to physically get rid of a movie from my movie shelf, but at the same time, I, I think this this is going to work really well. As always, I should do my my usual shout outs, rank and review, Matt Bledsoe's show Film Feast, and Kurt Fitzpatrick's show A Lifetime of Hallmark. All friends of the show and terrific podcasts that, that you should check out and seek out and all independent podcasters like myself uh, just interested in subject matter and our, our volunteer time putting these things out as always be kind to each other and be safe thank you so much and keep supporting the movies